Alright everyone, uh, let's, uh, let's get our hearts ready. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if you know me well enough by now. I've been here about three times, I think. Um, and uh, one of the things I love to do is ask you to pray for me. Um, and uh, what I used to do in my, uh, my last church, not my current church, um, I used to have this habit of asking people to pray for me because you're taking time out this Sunday, right? And then uh, how many of you know me well enough to say, I want to hear what you have to say? Uh, probably none of you, right? But you're here to listen to the Word of God. So it's very important for you to pray for me uh, so that I will speak the Word of God to you and uh, not something I want to say because what I say is very limited. And so I do offer you this opportunity to pray for one another and pray for me that the Word of God will be spoken this morning and uh, we will be able to hear and not just hear but allow it to change our heart because I think that's the purpose of a, a worship is to encounter God every Sunday when we come together and be transformed by His Word. So let's take a minute to uh, pray for one another and pray for me especially so as I deliver the Word that we will be connected through the Word and in worshiping Him and in encountering Him. And let's pray. Father God, I, I do ask you to come in, into our midst. Allow us to pray for one another as we are about to go into your word. We pray that you'll speak to us, God. Allow us to see you this morning. Allow us to encounter you this morning. And we pray for those who are suffering right now, God, uh, whether by war, by disease, or illness, or uh, any other um, forms of suffering, God, we bring them to you. Uh, for you're the great healer, and you're the, the refuge for those who are uh, in a war zone or any type of situation, God. And, and the broken can find healing in you, God. And we pray that uh, as we go into your word, that you will humble our hearts, allow us to hear you, and allow the, the Spirit to come flow into our hearts and just speak to us this morning and change us. Allow us to encounter you and see you this morning, God. That is our prayer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, if you have your Bible, we're going to go into a very uh, familiar story. I know we have the scripture up there, but um, I do encourage that if you have your Bible, then it's always good to have it, you know, just in case, you know, there's some words, you know, like years later you go back and say, well, God was speaking to me at that time, and that is something that I want to remember. And uh, so this morning we're reading from uh, Matthew 4, and Matthew 4 is a very famous uh, scripture. A lot of people don't know this, it's a temptation of Jesus. And we're not going to read that yet, and... Uh, and what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you a question, okay? How many of you are baptized this morning? Uh, have you been baptized? If you're baptized, raise your hand, okay? Most of you are baptized, okay? Um, now, I don't know about you, right? Being baptized is one of the, the greatest uh, moments, uh, you know, of uh, a Christian's life. And, and, and so I think it was always great. And that's kind of the background of today's story. So don't, don't pay attention to Matthew 4 yet. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what happened just before Matthew 4. Uh, Matthew 4 is uh, uh, chapter 3, of course. And uh, in that chapter, at the very end of it, uh, Jesus was, uh, you know, he was being baptized by John the Baptist. And that was uh, Matthew 3, uh, 13 to 17. And if, if you have your Bible, you can go back and look at it. And it's pretty amazing. I don't know how many of you have this kind of baptism, okay? I was baptized when I was 12. And uh, it, it, was, uh, it was me in the water and up, and that was it, right? Now Jesus, on the other hand, when he was baptized by John, he was about 30. And, uh, and when he was baptized, this is what happened, okay? Heaven opened up, okay? How many of you saw that during your baptism? Like, sky opened up, right? And not only that, I remember my church actually had this really interesting insight, uh, the church that I grew up in. 
um, we had a new sanctuary built, and then so what happened was this: is that they really want to value that that scripture where the sky open, you know, the heaven open up. Um, so we actually built a skylight. So as you're being baptized, there's that, that natural light that comes in, and in that water, which is, there's that glow, right? And and so so I, I think it's an amazing thing. But but when I get baptized, I, I I did not have the heaven open up for me, but Christ did, right? And not only did it open up, what what people saw at that time, especially John the Baptist saw this for sure. We don't know about other people if they see it. That there was the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descending on Jesus and resting on Him. Now a lot of us, we have this imagination that the day you're baptized, that's the day the Holy Spirit comes into your life, right? The reality is that when the day you believe, the Spirit's with you already. Now, now, but Jesus, when He was baptizing, this is the Holy Spirit coming down. And not only did it just come down and descended on Him, uh, the Bible tells us that it rested, the, the Holy Spirit rested on Jesus. Meaning, it literally sat there for a little bit, so that John the Baptist, or whoever it is, can see this happening. So it's a physical act of the Spirit resting on someone. And you can see it. It's not just an imagination actually happened. And not only then, right, we see the, then there's a voice. Like, and I, I ask you again, how many of you were baptized and there's this voice? And you say, this is my beloved son, who I am pleased, right? And, and that did not happen to me. But that did happen to Jesus. Because we knew, and we know still, that Jesus is actually very special. And, and in fact, he's so special that God had called him to, to have this mission of saving the entire human species, basically, from sin. And that is his mission. And that was the baptism of Jesus. And that was a great baptism, right? And I want you to imagine, if you were to have that baptism, when you had your baptism, the Spirit came down, heaven opened up, and God's like, this is my son, this is my daughter, whom I'm very pleased, okay? What do you think will happen next? And typically, this is what we teach you guys, right? God's going to be with you. Your life is going to be amazing. John 10.10, abundant life, Life of power. Everything that you do will be amazing. God is with you. You have the Holy Spirit now, right? And that's where we get into chapter 4. And we're going to read chapter 4 together. And it's amazing. It says this, the very first verse. It says, Jesus was led by the Spirit. Right? We're going to pause there. Don't, don't, re- look, don't look further down. Just, just stay there. Jesus was being led by the Holy Spirit. We love that, right? Because anyone who's baptized, who has believed in Jesus, you are filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit is guiding you. And we're to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. We read that this morning. Now we're to keep in step with this Holy Spirit. In fact, in Luke chapter 4 verse 1, it says this, that not only the Spirit was leading Jesus, that Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Okay? That's like the best thing you can have. Like, amazing thing. Like, if you're a Christian, you want to look forward to that day where, where you, there's a description about you, is that you are full of the Holy Spirit in your life. And now it's Jesus. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and the Spirit was guiding Jesus. And, and I want you to kind of pause. Don't look at the Scripture again. I, I think maybe we should kind of put that away for a second. Don't, don't look at that right now, okay? Imagine today, God is leading you. Spirit's with you. God's like, you're my favorite son or favorite daughter, beloved. I just, you're amazing. I'm filling you with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to guide you with the Holy Spirit. Where do you think God's going to guide you? Is He going to take you to somewhere nice? Somewhere comfortable? Like Hawaii, you know, like, and, and for the beach, you know, whatever it is. Is that where God's going to guide you? I think that's our imagination, right? And in churches, again, we have this, this idea that if God is with us, right, then we will be more than conquer, and which is very true. That is teaching of the Bible. 
And we think that, that it's going to be an amazing life. We're going to have the best jobs, right? Like, I'm a Christian, right? And I believe that my grades are going to go way up, right? I'm going to go to the best school. And I'm going to find the best job in the Bay. Like, because like, God is with me. The Spirit's with me. And He's guiding me. And then the Bible tells us that the Spirit was leading Jesus into the wilderness. Now, now that's a disappointment for uh, I think for me, you know, if I were Jesus, I might be expecting, like, guiding me to the royal palace. Because, you know, I'm here to save the people. Guiding me to be this, this person that everyone's going to follow me, right? Because I just, God just declared that I'm a favorite, right? I'm a beloved son of God. And so, so this is the imagination that I will have, is that if God's favors upon me, then He is going to bless me a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. Like, I'm going to have the best job, best friends, best kids, best husband, best wife, whatever it is. That is the imagination. The Spirit's with me. God cares. He loves me so much. But we see the disappointment in that. Is that, that, that it was the wilderness. Jesus was being led by the Spirit to the wilderness. Now, where is the wilderness? You might ask. Well, wilderness is actually close by to where Jesus was baptized. Uh, John was baptizing people, uh, you know, in the wilderness uh, uh, by the, the River Jordan. And, and um, the Jordan River is a very long one. It was like a hundred and something miles. And it's a very long uh, river. And, and besides it, it's, it's barren. You know, there's wilderness. There's not a lot of things going on. In fact, in Mark 1 tells us that Jesus, when he was in the wilderness, uh, he was with beasts. Like, like animals, right? There's no people around. So it's not a great place. It's a great place for isolation and if you want to be alone. But it's not a great place for interaction. Uh, if you're out, uh, out uh, what is it? Uh, extroverted. There. If you're an extroverted person, uh, it's not a great place for you because there's no one to talk to. And if you're an introverted person, it might be great. But the only problem is this, is that not only was there only animals around you, there's no food around. And how do we know that? Luke tells us that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. And there was nothing to eat. He didn't eat anything. And, and so I want you to kind of just imagine this again. God is saying that I love you. I care about you. You're my beloved. And the Spirit's with you, filled you, guiding you to this place called the wilderness. And some of you might not know this yet. Well, some of you might have known this already. I don't want to age discriminate you guys. I was young and I, I, I felt that, you know. Sometimes there's a loneliness as being a Christian. That you cry out to God for help and nothing's helped. You, you see your, your parents, your friends, they have really bad relationship. You're praying for that and nothing's changed. And, and you have all these disappointment. And you're like, God, I love you. And I, I want to pray to you. I want to know what's going on. Help me. Help these people. And nothing's happened. And I feel like when I was reading the story, Jesus, who was the beloved son of God, filled with the Spirit, probably the expectation for me would be that he is going to be someone great, doing something awesome, enjoying a great life. But that was not the case. It was the wilderness. And, then, and besides, it didn't stop at just the wilderness. It's just that the Spirit led him to do what? To be tempted by the devil. And that's really a kicker for me, right? Not only did that God give him like great blessings, God gave him temptation. And we're like, I don't want temptation, right? I want strength. I want faithfulness, right? Why didn't God give him something like that? And, and so when I read this temptation of, of like, the spirit-like temptation, like, like, can you understand this? Like, can, can you fathom this? That you are a believer, and you want to love Jesus. I mean, and you want to love God. 
and, and, and nothing's working out the way you want it to work out, the way you imagine it to work out. Uh, and you see brokenness every side, everywhere that you are with, at church, at home, at school, at work, wherever you turn, you see brokenness. And you're like, I don't know what to do, God. I, I, I thought by believing in you, everything will be awesome. I thought that you loved me, then why is all these happening? And in fact, you might be struggling right now, and you say, my struggle must be from the devil, right? But then the Bible tells us that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, in isolation, in this great place of desolation and loneliness, to be tempted. To be tempted by the devil. And I read that and I say, man, what is going on here? Like, this is kind of different than our faith, isn't it? Like, we, we like to think, like, you know, we have this spiritual bubble, right? The day you believe, the angels encamped around you, you're saved. God is with you. Again, you're going to be smarter, better person, and all that stuff. But, but that's not what we see with Jesus. So we have to kind of study the word tempted. The word tempted here is actually called pyrazo. It's not really a, a special word, you know. It's, it's actually a very neutral word. Uh, if you look at other places in the Bible, that word will be translated to be uh, testing, or trial, or temptation. Now the key is that it's actually a neutral term. And how do you know whether it's a temptation, negative, or a positive term like trial? It's by the result of it. In fact, the, the interesting about this, this, this parazo is it, it, it just means that testing. Like, if you look at it, it just means testing, right? And that is the intention of God. It's not to bring harm to Jesus, right? But really to really build Jesus up. And, and you might say, well, what do you mean? Like, testing will build me up. How many of you have done examinations in your, in your life? Like, you, you take a class, right? And the teacher will be like, okay, here's chapter one, and you read it. And by the end of chapter one, it will always have a quiz or a test. Why do you think the test is needed? Because sometimes, we think we know what we know. But when the test comes, that's when we really know what we know. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, like, you are testing to know what you really, really know. Now, we can talk about faith all the time. We can talk about Jesus all the time. But the truth is, without testing of that knowledge, without that testing of your faith, you don't really know what you believe in. And, and sometimes, this is what happens with you. Is that as a Christian, and me as well, is that, that we want to follow Jesus. And God doesn't make it easy, because it's not supposed to be easy. In fact, what did Jesus say for people who want to follow Him? He says, that, come follow me. That's great, right? But first, deny yourself, okay? Saying no to yourself. Carry your cross. That means to be ready to die for faith, okay? And follow me. That means to imitate me, to do whatever it is that I do. It doesn't sound easy, because Jesus' life was not easy at all. He says that foxes have holes, birds have nests, but son of men have nowhere to lay his head. And that's, that's the life. And, and sometimes, again, like you will hear this, is that, that God really intends to test us so that we can be stronger, to be better. But that's a process. Uh, recently, my wife and I, we take our two girls uh, to this mining town and then to check out uh, this mining operation that was abandoned a long time ago during the gold rush. And uh, what we noticed was this, is that, that what they do is they will dig out giant rocks, right? And they'll melt them, okay? And in such a high degree, high temperature, 
that the, the metals will come out, right? And it doesn't end there, right? And they will continue to heat it up so that the metals will all melt into kind of liquid form and then all the different types of metal will somehow, due to the temperature, will rise up, right? The impurities, the different types of metals. Uh, I think elderly will know better, like chemistry, right? So, so, so the, all these different things will rise up. And what you are left after all that is that you scoop up whatever it is, impurity, and what you have left later it's pure gold, like pure, pure gold. And that's how you do it. You have to put it through the test of fire. How hot was that fire? Uh, people were wearing like super thick, like, I don't know, suits. I don't know what that is, what, what that suit is. To, to go through that fire because it was so hot. And I, I look at this as that, that Jesus, he had a great mission, right? And this mission is God-intended mission. God wanted him to be a great king, to be the savior of all men. This is what Jesus wanted. So Jesus knew that, that that was his mission. And that's what God wanted him to do. And in order for him to do a good job, he needed to go through tests. And that's the same for all of us here, right? Like we want to be more like Christ. We want to be faithful. We want to be loving. We want to be... The, you know, a great Christian, you know, we want to be a blessing to our family, to everybody else. And in order for us to achieve that, we also need to go through a lot of tests. And here's the, the crazy thing. Sometimes God will do the testing. I don't know if you remember the story of Abraham, right? God tested Abraham. God said, Abraham, I want you to bring your son and sacrifice your son. Because I want to see, do you really trust me? Do you really love me? Do you really put me as your number one? And sometimes God allows the devil to do it, kind of like in Jesus' circumstance or in Job's circumstance where the devil comes and say, I want to do this to, to Job or to Jesus. And God is like, go ahead, do it. Let's see what happens. And sometimes God allows other people to do it or life to do it by itself. It could be natural. It could be uh, a person like Daniel's situation. There are people who want to hurt him and then God used that opportunity to build him up. Or Esther, people want to genocide his, or her entire uh, uh, people group. And so sometimes God allowed that to do it so that we know what we know and we know our faith well. See, the purpose always is, is that as we are being tested, in Romans 5 it says this, is that, that, that when we are going through suffering, it will go through this, uh, it will produce perseverance. And then this perseverance will produce character. And this character will produce hope. And this hope will give us this, this will not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts to see that. So we know that as we go through the testing process, it will give us multiple things. It will build our character. It will allow us to be more like God. In fact, in James 1, 2 to 4, it says this, that consider pure joy. Be happy, okay, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials or tests of many kind. I don't know how many of you are happy to face tests. James said, be happy to face it. Like when God is taking you through this journey of suffering or struggle or testing, be happy about it. Think of it as pure joy. Because, he gives us a reason, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And I, I like how James and Paul both used that, that, that as we go through tests, it allows us to be patient, persevere, to stay faithful. And that's true, isn't it? A lot of times in our lives, we fail because we give up too easily, right? And this is telling us that, that as we're being tested, hold on true to God's promises. 
And that perseverance, when it finished its work, in verse 4 it says in James 1, that you may be mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. How many of you want to be mature? Like, when I was a kid, that's all I wanted. Like, I wanted to be mature. When I'm an adult and I realize how immature I am, and I say, I want to be more mature. I want to be make sure that I'm, I'm mature enough to handle a lot of situations and complete and lacking in nothing. I mean, to get there, there's definitely a process. And, and that's the goal for all of us, right? Jesus had a mission, and in order for Him to be good at His mission, God needed to test Him. And we're going to see in the future, if I have the opportunity to come by again, is that all these temptations is not just a one-time thing. Jesus will face temptation over and over again in His ministry. It doesn't stop just because He finished this test. It will continue to happen. But these tests happened so that He is prepared for the future tests. It's kind of like you're going through math, like math one, right? And once you pass math one, right? It doesn't mean that you won't be tested again about math one stuff. It's just that it means that you now know it and you're going to move on to the next test. And it's still going to be a math question. It will be a lot more difficult sometimes. And math 3, math 4, math 5, whatever it is, and AP math and, and, and calculus and all that stuff, right? And we're going to go through that in life as well. But we now have passed the first test. And it will help prepare us to face our next test. And when we finish all of that, it's kind of like school. You pass your math. Eventually you pass your biology or whatever it is, you graduate, right? You move on. And, and, and so that's the reality of testing in our life. That if Jesus faced tests, we will face tests as well. For our faith, for our growth, to understand more about God's will. And here's the thing though, sometimes tests happen. Uh, you know, don't blame God if something bad happens, what I'm trying to tell you. Uh, because James 1 also says this, that when you're tempted, when you're tested, no one should say God is tempting me because there's a negative result, right? Because God doesn't tempt a negative thing to, to us by evil. He doesn't test by evil, nor does He tempt anyone, meaning that He doesn't do anything to take people away, to, to give you a negative test. And what is a negative test, you might ask? A negative test or a temptation is something that leads you away from God. A positive test or a trial is something that brings you closer to God. So when you're facing a test in your life right now, you got to ask the question, is this test taking me closer to God or taking me further away from God? Right? And that decision, that choice will tell you where that is from. If it is from the devil, from the world, it will take you away from God. If it is from God, it will bring you closer to God. And that's the two tests. But there's a third type, which is the ones that are caused by you. You're facing the struggle because you made a bad decision. Like, you are being called to the principal's office, right? Because you decided to punch someone in the face. Or you're being called to your manager's place because you have a deadline and you decided to not obey it and you just say, I don't care about that deadline. I'm going to take a vacation. I'm not going to do my work. And you got called to your manager's office and you're going to be laid off. That is not a test from God. That is a result of your laziness uh, or a result of whatever disobedience that you might be doing. And, and we, we bear that consequence. That's a very simple thing. It's called action consequences. But testing is things that you did not imagine nor invite. Like what Jesus did here. Spirit led him to the wilderness to be tested so that his faith can grow. But of course the tempter doesn't want that to happen. He wants that, that test to be a negative test, to take him away from God. And so we see the intention behind the test matters a lot. That it might be the same action, but because of the person behind that test, the intention makes it good or bad. 
I'll give you an example. If you see someone, for example, I see Howard a few times now, and, and uh, he was walking down the street, right? And as he was walking down the street, I pushed him to the ground, okay? And uh, you're walking by, right? And you say, whoa, what happened here, right? Now, there could be two reasons. One is this, is that I don't like Howard at all. So I'm going to push him to the ground because I want to show him disrespect, right? And that's a bad thing, right? That's a bad intention of that push, right? On the other hand, it's because I saw this bird who's about to drop, you know, something. And then so I pushed him away from that danger of bird poop, okay? And then so I wanted to spare him from that thing. Now, it's the same action that I'm doing to Howard, pushing him away, pushing him down. But one is to really just save him from something, right? And the other is to harm him because I don't like him. You see how the same action has different intention, causing a different reaction and different uh, mentality. And, and, and intention behind it is what happens. When God tests us, it's something to be positive, bring us close to Him. But when the devil comes, it's always to take us away from God. But how we face that test will also determine the result too, isn't it? And so I want to encourage us to kind of think about this, is that if Jesus got tested, how much more will we be tested? And like any test, you must ask this question. If you know you're going to get tested on math on Monday, what do you do the weekend before? Well, hopefully not the weekend before. You can do it throughout this week. Is you study, right? If you know you have an interview for a new job next week, you don't just do nothing. You prepare for it. And I think the Bible lays it out for us. That we will be tested. Then the question for us as Christians is this. How do we prepare for testing? And I think the Bible scripture gives us a couple hints. Uh, one is this is that, that Jesus fasted for 40 days. Uh, fasting is a great spiritual discipline. It brings you closer to God. And, uh, and, and I think that's what Jesus did. You know, he, he fasted. Uh, he knew the tests were coming. Uh, he knew that God, God's going to let him into the wilderness to be tested. And he said, I'm going to prepare for this test by being and staying close to God. And, and all of us, you've got to think about this one, okay? That being called to faith, and you never read the Bible, you never prayed, you never do anything to get close to God, there's a very high likelihood that you're going to fail your test. Okay? It's like, you know, there's a math exam on Monday, like I said, and then you don't read your math, you don't do your problems, and you go to school, I'm pretty sure you're going to fail. <laughs> but that's the reality. So we have to prepare for it. And Jesus was preparing for it. In fact, he was spending time in the wilderness, fasting, reflecting about God. And not only that, we think there's a hint that he was also trying to read the Bible. Not just, read, not just praying and, and fasting and just thinking about God, that's great. But he was also studying the Bible. And how we know that is by two things, okay? One is this, is that Deuteronomy chapter 8 was the first answer that he gave away, Okay? And Deuteronomy 6 uh, is where the two, second and third answers came from. So we knew that Jesus was quoting Scripture. And you might be asking, why Deuteronomy? Because in Deuteronomy 17, this is what it says, that, that when the Israelites, when they have a king among them, okay? And this is what the king is supposed to do. And if you have your Bible, you can turn there. But Deuteronomy 17, 18 says this, that when he, the king, takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll, a copy of this law, Deuteronomy, that is the law, taken from now the Levite, Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God, and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. So we're told in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 17, that anyone who is to be the king of Israel is to memorize, to write down Deuteronomy. 
And I can imagine Jesus knowing his mission, that he is going to be the king of the Jews, he's going to be the king of the world, was remembering, writing down, meditating on Deuteronomy, which makes sense why he quoted Deuteronomy for his temptations. And as we think about that, we have to ask ourselves, how are we preparing for tests that God will come a place in our lives? Are we, are we ready for it? Do we pray? Do we, do we read the scripture? Do we think about God? Do we spend time with Him? Do we take time to go in isolation and, and to practice spiritual disciplines? Do we think, do we join the youth group? Do we go to Sunday school? Do we come to Sunday service? I don't know what you guys do. But what do we do to prepare for the tests of the world? When, when it comes to our lives, God will give us tests so that we can be more mature. And know this, is that there is definitely hope in all the testing that we'll be facing. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it's this, is that being confident of this, that He, that is God, began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And what that is really saying is this, is that the day you believe, the day you follow Jesus, the day the promise started, that, that all is new, right? That all has gone, that new creation has come, that's the start of the time that Jesus has started this new life in you. He's not going to stop until you are the new you. The you that is like God. The you that He built you to be. The full potential you. So God will not give up on you. God will prepare you. He will finish the work in you. So when you're facing tests in life and you want to give up, just know this, that God is going to help you through it. In fact, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, he says this, that, that I can do, uh, 13 says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That the only way for us to really pass this test is through Jesus Christ. If you depend on him, the promise is that he will help you, he will help me to pass all the tests in life. And I know that to be true. Because any time I realize in my own personal life, as I serve God, is that if I depend on him, I'm successful in the sense of like defeating all the issues that I face. Anytime I sway from Him, I drift away from Him, depend on myself, I fail in a lot of ways. And the Bible tells us in John 16, uh, John 15, it says this, that, that He is divine, right? That if we remain Him, then He will remain in us. And then we will bear many, many fruits. But if we are not with Him, then we cannot do anything. And so when we know this, as we think about the test of our lives, we have to remember something, is that we have to stay close to Jesus. Stay close to God's Word. Stay close to His presence. Allow Him to guide us through every step of the way. And lastly, you might ask, what is, when is the test coming? How do we know if the test is coming? I mean, we know that Jesus was tested. The Spirit let Him out, you know, in the wilderness and to be tested. And it goes to tell us that, that the tempter comes in, in verse 3, it says that, that when Jesus was hungry and a lot of times our tests will come at the physical our weakest point during the physical weakness that when we are so weak in our physical needs like our mentally our uh, physically we're just tired uh, how many of you know hungry uh, hangry is like you know your hunger and hangry like you're angry right so you're hungry and cause you to be hangry and so I, I i don't have that my wife does she's not here so i can say that but you know so she, when she's hungry she she she, she gets angry and uh, she's not very pleasant so the only way to resolve that it's like give her some food right and uh, I remember there's a commercial uh, on, a, on a chocolate bar. I don't want to make commercials for them. But if you eat it, you know, you're not you when you're hungry. It's basically the thing. And that is true for a lot of us. That when we are physically weak, then we will do a lot of things 
that is not pleasing to God and will fail a lot of tests. And that's when the temptation will come in to take us away from God when we are weak. Right? It could be that when you're tired, when you're in dark places, when you are, uh, you know, like whatever it is, you know. And, 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 but then I realized something though. Like we know to prepare for those moments, right? Like when I'm hungry, when I'm tired, I want to watch out. But when I work at church for such a long time, and growing up in church for so many years, one thing I realized this is that there's another type of temptation that we tend to overlook. And that temptation is when you're spiritually strong. We just talk about Jesus spending 40 days fasting, right? Now, his body might be weak, but his spirit's strong. And how do we know that? He spent 40 days with God. You know, he's reading the Word of God. His spirit must be very strong, right? But that's also when the temptation comes. I see a lot of great pastors fall, or great leaders fall in the Christian circle at their highest moment. About a year ago, I found this pastor I really admire, leads a great church, stepped down from his church over sinful behaviors. I don't know exactly what that is, but he was at the height of his church. I mean, a church of 10,000, you know, and all that stuff. Great, great things. Great leaders. Should be close to God, right? And that's when I realized that when we feel that we are spiritually strong, that we're okay, that's also when temptation comes. When you start to think that I'm not going to sin, that is the moment that you're going to sin. When you start to say, I will be okay by myself, that's the moment you start to depend on yourself and not God. And that's when you start to fall. And the devil knows that. Not only to attack us when we are weak physically, but also when we feel good about ourselves spiritually. How many of you know that? The supposed spiritual leaders. Division. Hurt. And that's when we realize that, that just because we look spiritual or we think we're spiritual doesn't mean we are. And that's when the temptation comes, right? See, the devil doesn't need to attack someone who doesn't care about Jesus because they don't already care. He attacks about the people who really cares about Jesus and try to sow things into his life. And we're going to see that temptation later to cause them to drift away from God. And, and, and you think of this. If you want to bring down a church, who do you bring down first? The spiritual leaders, right? And that's why it's important for us to pray for our leaders, pray for our elders, pray for our pastors, to make sure that not only they have a good relationship with God, but also they have a spiritual awareness of the tests, the, the temptation, the trials that's coming their way. Because we're all going to be tested, including our pastors, our leaders, our deacons, our elders. Every one of us will be tested. Pray for them, because when they fall, right? Imagine if Jesus succumbed to the temptations. There will be no salvation story. So I look at the story again and I remind myself is that, that I need to watch out because God has called me to be a pastor, to be a leader. And I need to be careful with what I do and not to assume that I'm okay. And I remember there were times in my life where I could just preach a sermon and not really have a great relationship with God because I know enough about the Bible. But the reality is, is that that's dangerous because the devil can come in and attack that. And I just want to encourage all of us this morning to think about the reality of being a Christian. It's not really this bubble-wrapped life, but really be ready to face all temptation, all testing, all trials, so that we can grow to be more like Christ, so that we can fulfill the potential, the mission that God has for all of us. And I believe it doesn't matter what age you are, you know, God can use you. You're old, you're young, God can use you. And God wants to train us to be His servants 
to bring blessing, to bring love to the world that we live in, to the communities, to our friends, to our families. Let's pray. Father God, I pray this morning that you help us to see that you will help us through the tests that we face in life and to help us see the good intention behind the tests, to know that these will help us grow, to be more mature, to be more complete, to lack in nothing, God. I just pray that that as we go through different tests in our life, in different stages, that we will continue to spend time with you, to meditate on your word, to pray and to fast and to, to connect with you and dwell in your presence. And Father, we know that we, we want to be more like you and just give us this awareness that in our connection with you, in our spiritual walk, that we are alert at all times to watch out for all things that might lead us away from you. We know your intention is for good. You want us to be close to you. But we also know that the devil wants to take us away from you. So God, help us all to walk in the path of righteousness, to be with us so that we face tests in life, that we know that we can pass it because you are with us. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.